Okay, so we are learning Daf Lamid Vav. We are learning the Sudya Chalitza Uberis. And the question is that if somebody is doing Yipamar Chalitza to a pregnant woman, and it, at the time that they, that they did the Maisa Yipamar Chalitza, she was pregnant, but it ended up being that she did not have a viable child. There was a miscarriage. So the question is whether or not it was effective. So definitely Midrab Banan we saw in the Mishnah. There's no question that is treated. Like a chalutza, she shouldn't marry a Kohen from that. Um, they're also on each other's relatives from that. But the shaila is whether or not it was so effective that after her miscarriage, she's free to go and marry anybody and she doesn't have to worry that transgressing the issue of Yavam Ashok, her zika is gone. Or do I say that no, that the, it was not effective what was done to her when she was in Mubarak, since she, she, at that point she had a fetus which could theoretically have been born viable. It happens to be that and she miscarried, so maybe at that point it's not a good chalitza or yibum. So we had a machlokas. Rabbi Yochanan says it is a good chalitza or yibum. Rabbi says it is not. We saw yesterday these lumdish svaras or psokim that might define the machlokas. Rabbi Yochanan says, hey, we see retroactively she wasn't pri- that she wasn't pregnant with a viable kid. Rabbi says, no, we can't say such a thing. In the moment, there was no way to tell. Or maybe it's a drash of I and a love. We saw Rabbi Shlakish's view. At any rate, so we see. Uh, a dispute about this matter. However, we're ending off at a, uh, a big problem. We had a b'risa on the bottom of Laman Hamid Bays where the b'risa said that if somebody was, uh, uh, there were two widows, and the Yavim has two, two widows falling to him, normally you do, you do chalitza or even to one and the other one is free to go, and here one of them was pregnant and you did a bia with her while she was pregnant, so we're saying that the co-wife, the co-wife has to wait. So which seems, seems to be a great proof to Reish Lakish that the, that's the vart, because bia that's done to Mubaris is not effective, and that's why the co-wife has to wait. Her zika is not gone. So it was a kasha on Rabbi Yochanan. So Rabbi Yochanan initially, the Gemara wanted to say, switched his mind about bia. Everybody agrees that by yibum, maybe, since you're bringing yourself into definitely the wrong thing, it's a suffix or eshrasach. So maybe everybody agrees by yibum that a bia is Mubaris lishma bia. The whole dispute goes by chalitza. But Rava rejected that, because if, if you were to say that, that Rabbi Yochanan agrees that by Bia, Bia's Mubaris Loshmai Bia, then he would agree that Chalitza Mubaris Loshma Chalitza as well. Because what's the big rule in Yavamas? You can only do Chalitza when you can do Yibam. So if we're going to say that she's Eno Oluli Yibam and she's Mubaris, then certainly she wouldn't be Olu Chalitza as well. So if Rabbi Yochanan, in order for Rabbi Yochanan to say Chalitza Mubaris Shma Chalitza, he must hold Bia's Mubaris Shma Bia. So now the question is back on the table. What's up with this price of saying? That uh, if there were two widows falling and one of them was pregnant and the Yavam did Bia to the pregnant one, that the, the Tsara has to wait. Why should the Tsara have to wait? The Bia's Mubara should be good. So we're at the top of Laman Vav, Laman Aleph, Elo Amar Rava. Rather, Rava says, This is the way we're going to interpret the Brayza. Somebody marries his Yavama and she's pregnant now. The co wife cannot get married. Why? This is our question. So we reinterpret as follows. Shema Yehev Lad Ben Kayama. Perhaps the contrary. Maybe really we're concerned that the kid is going to be viable. And if the kid is going to be viable, then obviously what's taking place now is not Yibam, right? It's actually, there is a child. And definitely the Yibam of somebody pregnant with a viable kid is not, is not, is not going to exempt her, that's for sure. The Chalitza done with Tumubaris with a viable kid is not going to be Chalitza. I, if, there's, if, if you're Choshish, there's a kid, then on the possibility there's a kid, then there should be no Zika. Says the Gemara, says the Gemara, New Year's Sight. That if there is a kid, and the reason there's no Zika is because there's a kid, then you have to wait until the kid is born. And that's what's switching in the Gemara. The Gemara is saying we have to cover our bases. Right now she's pregnant. It might be a viable kid, it might not be a viable kid. If it's not a viable kid, then you're right. In a Hanami, with the Bia that's being done to her right now, the Zika will go away and her co would be free to go. But on the side that it is a viable kid, and there's no Zika because there's a kid, 
because it's an Eishas Ashayish Lobanim, then you have to wait until the kid is born. Fascinating idea. And that's what's switching in the Gemara. Yesterday, the Gemara didn't see it that way. The Gemara thought on the possibility that the kid is viable, then for sure she's free to go now. And it's an Eishas Ashayish Lobanim. What today the Gemara is introducing is that no, if the reason why there's no Zika is because that the kid is viable, if that's why she, there's no Zika, then you have to wait until the kid is born. So that's why even though really B.S. Mu'beres on a non-viable kid is, is, is going to take away the Zika, like Rabbi Yochanan said, but that doesn't mean that when you do B.S. to a pregnant woman that the co-wife is free to go, because Rechoshesh said there is a viable kid inside, which means that it's the kid that's pottering, not the B.S. that's pottering, and if it's the kid that's pottering, you have to wait until the kid is born. That's the New Year's site that the Gemara is bringing. It's hard to know what the svara of that is. Why, if it's a vlad that's pottering, you have to wait until the vlad exists. It's hard to fully see it and understand that. But perhaps uh, the, the basic idea is that there's the shame, just like, you know, in, a, in the way the dinim work. There, 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 there's the din that outs the vlad, there's no zika, and then there has to be the kid in front of you. And then there's the din that the bia potters when there is a zika. Outs the din that the bia would potter when there's a zika, there Rabbi Yochanan says, maybe bia. But outs the din that the kid potters, there you have to wait until the kid is born. So the Gemara now says, We see a Bryce which supports Rava's defense of Rabbi Yochanan. Of course, the definition is if somebody marries his Vama and she's pregnant, so the Yavama's co wife is not free to marry. And the Bryce speaks out exactly the way Rava said, We're concerned that the kid will be viable. And then the Yibam Archalitza is not going to be what's pottering her, but rather it's the kid. If it's the kid, a child doesn't potter until he emerges from the womb. So the second, the second prize, it says exactly the Svar of Rava to explain the first prize. So now it's such a good Svara in defense of Rabbi Yochanan that we're going to turn it from this second prize on Azakasha on Reish Lakish. So now the Gemara says, Taima, why don't we infer the only reason why the Kohath can't get married is because on the side the kid is viable, we have to wait for the kid to be born. Hello, Evlad ben Kayama. On the side that the kid is not viable, then it would sound like Miftar Tsarasa, that with the Bia done to the, to, to one, the pregnant girl right now, the co-wife would have been free to go. Let's say you would be able somehow to perform an ultrasound and know for certainty that the kid would not be viable. It would sound like with the Bia that you're doing right now, it would exempt the co-wife. So that's a Kashan Reish Lakish. Let me talk to Reish Lakish. Reish Lakish holds, B.S. Mubaris, even on a non-viable kid, is Loshma Bia. The Bia doesn't exempt. So it was such a good defense of Rabbi Yochanan that we found it that way in the Brisa that now that Brisa is a refutation on Rish Lakish because why do we say the reason the co-wife can't go free is only because if the kid is going to be born viable then we have to wait for the kid. Hey, even if the kid wouldn't be viable, the Bia that's done according to Rish Lakish to a non, on a non-viable fetus pregnant woman is, is not going to potter. So the Kamar defense, I'm Rish Lakish, Rish Lakish will tell you how you done it. This is what the Brisa is saying. Akonis is with somebody marries this Yvaman, she's found to be pregnant. What's the real reason? Because he's amending the bride's where Shalkish is changing the gear to say maybe the kid will not be viable. He's amending the bride's to say that's the pshat. And the chalitza, the pregnant woman, or, or the Yibam pregnant woman, is not valid even if the kid's not viable. And then what the bride was alluding to with the kid, the im tomar, if you're going to ask, you're going to say the whole reason you don't want to get married is because your choshish, the kid won't be viable and the, the, the yibum that was done wasn't good. If im tomar, you're going to ask, why not? Why don't we go after the majority of women? Most pregnancies 
and end up with a good viable child. So the psak of rov should say, you shouldn't be choshish for a non-viable child. You're right. If it would be a non-viable child, then Rish Lakish is right, then the, the, the bia that was on wouldn't take away the zikla. But I'll goof, I'll go after the majority of pregnancies. Majority of pregnancies end in a healthy, viable kid. So, 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 so there shouldn't be zikla. It's the fact that there's a kid. There it is. The bride of Lani out the kid, the kid doesn't potter until he actually emerges. So we for sure need the Brisa to say that Avlad in a potter Because if not for that, you would say that the majority of pregnancies are healthy and that they, there really is an bottom here as soon as you see that she's pregnant. And we have to clarify that we don't go after the rove because on the tzad that the Vlad would potter, Avlad would Okay. So now, so what's interesting, and we're going to see this, is that usually when Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Shlakish and Rabbi Yochanan and Machlokas, we always go like Rabbi Yochanan, generally. Here we're going to see a few of the Amoram liked Rabbi Shlakish's approach much more. So the Gemara Amoram, Rabbi and is it possible that I see all these Amoram like Rabbi Shlakish's opinion? That B.S. Mubaris is Loshma B. And we can't bring one proof to it from the Mishnah? Meaning, like, there must be that that's the reason why so many Amaram are favoring Rish Lakish's view, is because you can see like him in a Mishnah. So, where is the Mishnah that you can see like him? He went out, he did a Badika, he found that you could see in a Mishnah like Rish Lakish. It says in a Mishnah, a Mishnah later on, a woman's husband and her co wife went overseas, and the woman remained back at home. They came back and they told her, they told her, that your husband died, and the woman has a right to believe it. So she's no longer considered a married woman. But what's the issue? She has no clue if she's a Yavama. Why? Because she doesn't know if her, child, if, if her husband has children. He left without children, but, but, but he also went away with, her, with, with this woman's co-wife. So maybe there was a child that was born overseas. We don't know. <clears throat> so what's the halacha? The halacha is she cannot marry, and she cannot do Yibam. Why? Because if she would try to get married, it might be Yavama Lashok. Right? It might be that there are no children. If she tries to do Yibam, it might be There might be kids. She doesn't know whether or not her husband died with children or without children. Until she has to find out, we're concerned that maybe her co-wife is pregnant. So if she knows with certainty that her co-wife is not pregnant, then she could do Yibam. She could do she, she knows she, she, there's no children then. So Or do Chalitza and marry somebody else. But if the co-wife might be pregnant, then she's stuck. That's the part that we're stuck because of the fact that we don't know if the co-wife is pregnant. So now let's think about what does the Mishnah mean? What would the problem be if her co-wife would be pregnant? So we can understand why she shouldn't, why Yibam's not on the table here, because because if she does Yibam, maybe the pregnancy of her, when her co-wife is pregnant, maybe the pregnancy is with a viable kid. If the kid turns out to be viable, then the bia that she would do, that she would have with her yavam would be a brother's wife with children that's outside of yibam. What's the reason why she can't do chalitza and remarry? Either there will be a kid that's a healthy viable kid, and uh, then she doesn't have zika, or it will be a non-viable kid, and there would be a zika, but she did chalitza. So why can't she do chalitza now? And marry somebody else. You know what the answer must be? It must be that chalitza done to Mu'ubaras, even on the side that it's not viable, is not effective. So we see in the Mishnah, like Reish Lakish's view. And the Gemara speaks it out further. We can understand that even if you hold chalitza is good, 
um, to a pregnant woman, you can understand she shouldn't do chalitza within nine months of her husband's death and also remarry within those same nine months because high new suffolk. That's the suffolk that we have to think about. In other words, we have to be choshesh that there's a viable kid and case zikr the chalitza doesn't work and you need the kid and the kid doesn't potter until he comes. We know that. That we could understand that's not a kashim Rabbi Yochanan why she's not doing chalitza now and marrying now. We understand you have to wait at least nine months. But let her at least chop the maisa chalitza now. Let her do the actual chalitza now and then let her marry immediately after the nine months. In other words, what we're saying is it sounds like she has to wait to do anything until we clear up the situation of the pregnancy. And the question is, it's true that she has to wait to actually get married until after the nine months, but why didn't she at least do the maisa chalitza now? Let's think this through. It's either going to end, the pregnancy will either end in a viable kid or a non-viable kid. If it ends in a viable kid and we need the Vlad and the Vlad is what's making, there's no Zika. Okay, so Taka, we have to wait until the kid comes to the world. As soon as the kid is born, she's free to go. If the kid will not be viable, there will be a miscarriage. So we need a Chalitza before she can get remarried. Okay, great. When does that Chalitza have to be done? So like Rav Yochanan, the Chalitza could have been done anytime within the nine months. Chalitza's move bears and a non-viable kid should work. So why did we emphasize she can't she do anything now? She should do the Chalitza now, save that time. Go through the hassle of, you know, going to the court and everything. Do the Maisa Chalitza now and then she'll be free to go, right? As soon as the miscarriage happens. Must be, the Pshat is, Rish Lakish is right. And on the side that the miscarriage will happen, she has to do the Chalitza after the miscarriage. Because the Chalitza that was done before the miscarriage won't work. So that's the proof to, that's the proof to, uh, to Rish Lakish. And that's why she's going to have to wait to do the Maisa Chalitza till after. Says the Gemara, you think that's a proof? According to your view, that we're concluding from here, Chalitza's Mubaras is Loshma Bia. Still, let her do Chalitza and marry after the nine months. The Mishnah, the way it said it, it, like, it, it implied that, like, that like, she's stuck. You know, she's mom is stuck. Why, what, what's the problem? Let her do Chalitza and marry after the nine months have passed. What, after the nine months have passed. What, 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 could possibly the, the, what could possibly be the big deal in there? Even if you hold it's not good, it's not going to do chalitza when she's pregnant, but do chalitza after the nine months and then remarry. Either the co-wife already gave birth to a viable kid and, the, and, 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 and then the chalitza was not a chalitza as she was really potter out the kid or, or she miscarried and the chalitza pottered her. But the, the Mishnah implied until you know she was pregnant, until you know if you need chalitza, you can't do anything. Why? Wait nine months. I might not know she's pregnant. She might be out in China. I have no clue. But once I've waited nine months, either there is a kid, and if there is a kid, I don't need chalitza and I'm free to go, or there's not a kid and I can do chalitza now and, and go get married. Why am I saying, why is the Mishnah saying I'm stuck until I found out if she was pregnant? Ella You have to leave that Mishnah out. There's another consideration that we forgot to think about. Two of these Amaram both said, you know why she can't remarry until we know if there's a kid? Why can't she just do a chalitza, cover her bases and get married? The answer is, we're scared that really there is a kid we don't know about. And the chalitza that was done was not a chalitza that was necessary. Okay, so you're going to say, what's the big deal? The big deal is, you're going to have to make an announcement that really she's good to marry a coin. What do we mean to say? We didn't know if there was a kid that was viable or not. So we're going to say, wait nine months, do a chalitza and get remarried, right? But that's no good. Why? Because a chalitza can't marry a coin. That's the halacha. If there would be a viable kid, so we would know in retrospect, the chalitza that we did back here in America was not a real chalitza. Why was it not a chalitza? Because really there was a kid and there was no zika. So the chalitza was not a chalitza. So now we're going to have to make a public announcement that really this woman is eligible and fit to marry a coin because the chalitza that we thought she did really wasn't a chalitza. And we don't want to do that. Therefore... You know what we say? You're not allowed to do chalitza or get remarried until we clear up if there's a kid.
Says the Gemara, why are we so reluctant to make an announcement that the Chalitza was not a good Chalitza, was, wasn't a Chalitza, she's much required for Litzrachal, requires such an announcement. Why do we have to avoid that? Says the Gemara, Dilma Ika, and if you think about it, we're making her wait a long time until she finds out the status of her co-wife in China. She can't get re- chalitza and get remarried. Why? 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 All because that if the chalitza would be undermined when we find out there was a kid, we'd have to make an announcement. She's kosher lakuna, so make an announcement. Says We're concerned that there would be a person who may have been present at the chalitza, but wasn't present at the announcement. And if she marries a Kohen in the future... If the woman would go marry the Kohen, people are going to say, we're mimater chalitza to a Kohen. So therefore, we can't rely on the announcement. People are still going to say bad rumors about her if she marries a coin. Since we can't rely on the announcement, so we're stuck not being able to let her do chalitza. Because maybe there will be a viable kid. I will undermine that there was really no chalitza. She really will be eligible to marry a coin. But if she does, people are going to say she's doing the wrong thing. Why don't we just advise her not to marry a coin then, right? Can't, we can't do that. The din is the mind. So she's mother to a coin. The chalitza was undermined. It's a fascinating din. And therefore, we require her to wait until she clears up whether or not there's a kid. It's a really big chiddush, because we're being so strict on her. She's sitting here in America. She's dying to do chalitza and start a new relationship in life. We say, no, you have to wait, because maybe there's a kid out in China, and it's really the chalitza you're doing is not a chalitza. We'll find that out, and then you're going to want to marry a Kohen, and someone's going to say, you're a chalitza marrying a Kohen. Therefore, we say, you have to stop. You can't get chalitza and get remarried until we find out if there's a kid. Okay. Here, the Gemara gives now another rejection of Rebbe Lazar's proof. Did it say she shouldn't do chalitza or she shouldn't do yibam? It didn't say those words. It just said she shouldn't get married or be taken to yibam. Below chalitza, it just means she shouldn't do it without chalitza. She can't be married without chalitza. Um, if the Yavim around here does Chalitza with her even before the nine months, maybe she would be mother. Meaning, that's just a simpler defense to Rabbi Yochanan. It doesn't say, it doesn't say specifically in the Mishnah that if she does Chalitza, she can't get married. Maybe all it was saying is that she can't assume there's a child and get, and get married. She has to at least do Chalitza, but in Chanami, if she does Chalitza now, she could get married. All right. So what happened? We didn't end up with a proof to Rish Lakish from a Mishnah. But Lamaisa, the Gemara says, Tani Kavasa to Rish Lakish. We bring a Bryce which says, like Rish Lakish, Acholitz of a Bryce, Repila, someone who performs Chalitz with a pregnant woman, and then she miscarries. Shricha Chalitz of an Achin. She needs Chalitz from the brothers. The Chalitz that was done to her when she was Mubarez was not effective. How do we pass in Amarav? Halks like Vasa to Rish Lakish, Bani Klas. Allah is like Rish Lakish in these three times. You're learning like exceptions. Normally we always pass in like Rabbi Yochanan, except for these three things. Chalitz One is one that we just spoke about that the Chalitz of Mubarez is not effective. The other thing in Shas, it's not, it says in the Mishnah, someone who's giving out his properties to his sons by instructions, meaning he's not just leaving it to the laws of the inheritance of the Torah, but he wants to give specific instructions. So, if he increased the portion to one and decreased the portion to somebody else, or he made the, per- the portion of the firstborn son equal to those of the other brothers. So, he's changing what the, the way the Torah says it. His words stand. Why? And here's the key. If you try to say my inheritance should be different than the Torah law, it doesn't work. The Torah law is the Torah law. You can't change the Torah law. But if I want to give presents, I want to give it out matana, so that's not in conflict with the Torah law. The Torah is speaking about the din of Yerusha. But here, what's going on is simply that I'm giving it out as presents. I'm giving it away the property before. It's not going out to Yerusha. I'm giving presents. So if I'm giving presents, there's nothing in the Torah that says, you know, I can't do whatever I want with my money. So therefore... As long as I'm doing it out, out presence, it's good. But if the way you said it, the way you framed it was that I'm giving an inheritance, then it's not effective because you can't give a condition that's against the Torah law. So if the Torah says a firstborn gets a double portion, you can't say that I want my inheritance not to have that law. Now, the question is, what if 
in the document, he doesn't specify continuously that he's giving it his presence. He wrote at any point in the document, at the beginning, at the end, or in the middle, that is being given as a gift, even if there's other language in the document which suggests that it's language of inheritance, as long as anywhere in the, in the document, in the beginning, middle, or end, there's a language, some language that's contained of a present, then it is effective. So let's say it would be like he said, this field should be given to so-and-so, in the beginning of the field. But then the language that he gave in the beginning of the document, the language at the end, he didn't use the word given. He said the word, you know, like inherited or bequeathed. We still say as long as it was mentioned somewhere in the document, then the Dvar of Kayamin, it can stand. Now, if Amr Rishlakish, Rishlakish said, so Rishlakish, you just have to know what's going on there in Baba Basra, is that what happens there? It sounds like it's good as long as it says it's somewhere in the star. But what if there were different recipients? Let's say somebody said, you know, Reuven should inherit one field and field B should be given to Shimon. So he, like Mama, she's splitting the languages in different parties. So what's the halacha there? So Rishlaka said, In that case, the person that didn't have the language of, an, of, 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 of gift said to him, it was the language of inheritance said to him, he's not going to be kona. Until the donor says a language of gift to each recipient. So there, Rishlaka requires a language of, of present to be indicated that it goes to both recipients. Otherwise, it's not going to work. So in there, the halacha follows Rishlaka as well. All right, now a third case in Shas where we follow Rish Lakish Ve'idach. Did not, we learn a Mishnah. We learn in a Mishnah, again, more of this Baba Basra stuff. Somebody wrote over all of his properties to his son that he should acquire it after the father dies. So here's a very interesting thing. A father owns a field. And on the field is, you know, a bunch of fruits and, and things that are, what are growing, whatever it is. So the father says, I am writing to you that you are uh, the owner of this field, but it's only for after death. So what does that mean? It's only for after death. What does that mean? That means that the title ownership right now is that you're the owner, but I have the rights to use the field until I die. Now, how do we look at that halachically? There's something called the Kenyan Haguf, the title ownership, who is the essence central owner, and who is the rights to use it? Who has all the payrolls? Who has the rights to, to, to do, to use this field? So the father is writing this field over to his son, but he wants to retain the rights of the usage while he's still alive. So the phenomenon here is that the, the father is the, other, the owner of the payrolls, of all the fruits, in other words, the usage of the field is, the field is to the father during his lifetime, whereas the, the shame of the owner, the Kenyan Agof, and what's coming eventually is to the son. So what's the halacha? So during now, yeah, beautiful. The son is essentially the owner, but the father will use the field. But what if one of them tries to sell the field? What happens then, right? Who is the owner of the field? How do we halacha look at that? So the Mishnah says, on the The father can't sell the property completely. He already gave it over to the son, right? He can't make a full sale on the produce because the son already, ends, already owns the land itself and it has the rights to the produce eventually, Lachar Misa. So, so the, he, the father can't sell the etzim shame ownership of the land in a complete way to somebody else because the son, the son's bylaws will be ma'akim on that. But the other way around is also true. The son can't sell the property completely because it's in the possession of the father, meaning the father still has the rights to the produce now. So if the, if I would, if the son would go try to go sell a complete sale, yeah, come right now, do whatever you want on the field, and he can't do that because the father has the right of the usage until he dies. They could both do, the father could do like a limited sale, right? The father could sell to somebody else the fruits that he has until he dies. Maybe the father could do that. 
But if the father would try to sell completely, he can't do that. The son has the, the Kenyan Aguf. And the son can't completely sell that for right now. Everyone could come in and take the pairs because right now the pairs are the fathers. So they both can't make a complete sale. But what happens? that the father did sell his properties. They're sold until he dies. So meaning to say... That, that, that a buyer could acquire whatever right the father retained in the property. So if the father sells what he has, so what does the father have? The father has the rights in the field until he dies to have the produce. So therefore, the father could sell that limited thing sold until he dies. Um, okay, sorry. If the son sold the properties, the buyer has nothing until the father dies. In other words, the buyer can't take any of the produce while the father is still alive. In other words, the son is selling it while, he's, while the father is still alive. So all the produce right now is the father. So the buyer can't take any of those fruits. Um, but what happens is, going, what, what's going to happen when the father dies? Then he presumably... Presumably, the cell should take effect. Now, however, Itmar was said about this last case, and this is the last case we want to focus on, that the son sold it while the father was still alive. Again, the son owns the, the title of the property, but while the father is alive, he has the rights of the produce. The son sold it during the father's lifetime. So Itmar, he definitely can't take away his father's, his father's produce. But Itmar was said, Machar ben in this last case, where the son sold the property during the father's lifetime, and then the son died during the father's lifetime. Oh, so this is tricky. If the son would outlive the father, then after the father would die, then the sale would be binding. The son sold it, sold the field. He can't take away dad's rights, but after dad passes away, so then the sale goes through and then some of the buyer owns everything. But here what happened was, is that the son died during the father's lifetime. So now the shaila is, will the sale go through after the, after the father dies eventually? So Rabbi Yochanan says, the buyer never acquires the property. Even when the father dies, the buyer will not acquire the property. What's going to happen when the father dies? The property will go to his yardship, but not to the buyer. says, the buyer does acquire the property. So what's the lumdus? Rabbi Yochanan says, the buyer doesn't acquire the property because he holds Kenyan Pears, Kenyan Agulf. What's the ikr? The person who has the right of the fruit, the person who has the right of the substance of the property. So Rabbi Yochanan says it's all about the payers. The father retained rights to the, to the property's produce. He's considered the real owner of the field during the lifetime. So when the son sold the land, there was no legal standing at all. Meaning, according to Rabbi Yochanan, whoever has the right of usage, right of the produce, he is the owner. The person who has the shame of the karka, that's nothing. The shame of the karka doesn't give you an ikr bilas. The ikr bilas is the person who has the right of usage. So when the son sold it during the father's lifetime, he has no right to make an independent sale. Not at all. If the father dies first, then the sale could be triggered because now it's coming to the son, the right of the produce as well. But as much that the son passes away first, so what did he sell? He sold just when he had only Kenyan Aguf. I can't, a Kenyan Aguf itself is nothing. Kenyan Paris is what drives, what drives the ownership. So if I sold, if the son sold during, during the lifetime of his father, he makes a sale at the time, the father is the owner in Rabbi Yochanan's view because the Kenyan Paris is the acre. Kenyan Paris, Kenyan Agof dummy. So the son's sale in and of itself is meaningless. Therefore, when the son passes away before the father and then the father dies, so there's nothing to go to the buyer. The buyer bought it from somebody who didn't own it. Think about it that way. It's an unbelievable thing. Even though, what do you mean? The father, sold, the father already gave it over to the son. He gave him the ownership of the property. And it was coming to him of the Paris Lachar Mesa. So why do you say he owned the, pro- the properties? He was the owner's property. He was the property's owner at the time. The Territ says, no, if the father retained bylaws of the Paris, the ownership of the Paris is really the Iker bylaws. 
And just owning, you know, in, in, in an objective sense, I'm the owner of the land. If I don't have the right of usage, you're not a bylaw. You're not a, you're not someone who could sell it. Very lumdish a point here. So therefore, someone who bought it at that time has no legal standing whatsoever. So if the father died and then the son was still alive and it went to the son, so then that triggers the mechirah to the buyer. But in as much that the son passed away first and all he has, the buyer wants to stand on is the fact that he purchased it from the son. He had purchased it from somebody who wasn't the owner jumping a lake. Would it matter if the son sold the Title instead of the so I think it's even if he's selling the title. That's good for the Vard. The Vard is, in Rabbi Yochanan's view, there's no such thing as owning a title as an Iker Bailim when somebody else owns the Paris of the Karka. The Paris, and when I say Paris, doesn't, I keep on saying it means to own the fruit. Paris means more than fruit. People make a big mistake about what's a Kenyan Paris. Kenyan Paris means the right of usage. I own the property, but you have the right to use the usage. So to use the property. So let me just give you an example. If I own a, a building, a Kenyan a, a Paris, but a, a Kenyan go, but you own the Kenyan Paris, who could rent? Who could lease out the apartments and make the money? The one with the Kenyan Paris. That's an important point. The, to use it, however you want to use it. The, the, the shame of it is still there. In other words, I have the right to what makes the Paris. But I sold the Paris. I sold the produce. So it's complicated. It's very tricky, Kenyan Paris. Says, the buyer does acquire the property when the father dies because he can repair So therefore, the sale of the substance of land was effective right away. The buyer will get full ownership of the land when the father dies, and now the parents will go to him. So here Rava says, Allah is like Rishlakish. Okay, now we finish those three things. Now we get back to the mission. Mission said, "Ain't of logical kayama." Somebody married his is Yuvama. She's found to be pregnant. If the kid is not viable, so he keeps her as a wife, right? Remember that's a machlokas for real from Rishlakish. Does it mean he has to do another bia, or does it mean he may keep her if he'd like you? Arjim is mekayim iba. So Tana. Now the Gemara brings that there's a Tana who's chayel Tana. Bryce says, "Mishumar blazer omer." They said in the name of Allah, "Yes, he beget. Yes, to divorce her." What's the pshat? When this guy did, he married her when she was pregnant, he was risking doing an Isra Daraisa. Why? Because if it would have, it happens to be he was lucky and the pregnancy ended up in a miscarriage. But had it been a viable kid, what would the, what would the Allah have been? He was over an Isra Sasha So he really did the wrong thing by doing the Bia. So Rabbi Lazar says, well, rabbinically, we make a knas on him. And even if it ended in, excuse me, even if it ended in a miscarriage, we force them to get divorced. So the Mishnah says they're allowed to, they're allowed to stay married. The Brayser disagrees with what the Mishnah said. The Brayser holds, quoting Rabbi Lezer, that he has to give her a get and divorce her. Says the Gemara, Amar Rava, Rabbi and Rabbi Lezer hold of the same principle. What's the same principle? That when someone gets married, uh, Rabbana, doing the, we're doing the wrong thing. We make a kanas that they have to get divorced. Rabbi Lazar, Adam Lara, on what we just said. The Yavam married the pregnant Yavama that he has to divorce. Or a mayor to Tanya. Adam A person is not allowed to marry the pregnant ex-wife of somebody else or the nursing ex-wife of somebody else. What's the pshat? The problem is, if you don't wait 24 months until the nursing is complete, then if the new husband might impregnate her and that will ruin the milk supply. If that ruins the milk supply, then what's going to happen to the kid she's nursing? So Madrabanan, there's a din, you're not supposed to marry a nursing woman until she's done nursing. If he did marry her, he has to divorce her and he can never take her back. It's a penalty for violating his knas for the din He should temporarily not be with her. When the time for the 24 months passes, then he's allowed to marry. So we see a correlation between Remeyer's knas about marrying the nursing woman that you have to divorce her and never take her back, and Rabbi Lezer's knas for someone who took the pregnant woman in Yibam that he has to divorce her. So the Gemara says, How do you know these two rulings are the same? How do you know they're a good parallel? Here, when he took the pregnant Yibam, it may have been violating a Dindar Raisa. 
So maybe that's why it's more severe. Avalasan Drabanan, in the case of the pregnant nursing woman, it's only Drabanan Isra, maybe Drabanan Isra, so we'll be more lenient. Okay, so somebody didn't say Drabanan, big deal. Inami, or you could say it the other way. Why is Rameir so strict over there with the nursing woman? It's because it's Rabbanan and it's just the opposite. In order for the rabbis to bolster their takana, they have to make it stronger than the Torah. In order to give emphasis, in order to give weight that people should take it seriously. In the case of marrying a pregnant Yavama where it's possible to do it, everybody knows that that's awesome. Everybody would stay away from her. The rabbis don't have to you know, make a knas and say, if you did the wrong thing, you're not allowed to ever be with her because it's not something that, in general, a regular person would do. But the point is, why would I make a knas in order to strengthen the din? Right, you're right, it already happened, but I'm doing it for the world. Right, that's the point. The point is, it's like, you know, when somebody doesn't listen to the law, you have to pull them over and give them a ticket. Why? What's the vart? You give them a ticket. Because society has to function seeing the law be upheld. So that's because it's very normal to do that, to do that, to, to, to speed, Right. So over here, it's very normal to be over on a dindarabonah. That's just a dindarabonah. So there, the rabbonah have to go and make a knas to somebody who did it and make, to make sure it will never happen again. They have to make these strong deterrents. But, 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 but if it's someone doing an isra d'araisa, that's not so likely to begin with. So if somebody did do it, as long as now they're not being over because the pregnancy was terminated in a miscarriage, so then, okay, let them be. Fine, the guy was, did the wrong thing. Okay. Says the Gemara... Okay, what did we say? The Rabbanon said that what? That in the case where you marry the nursing woman, what's the halacha? You don't have to divorce her and never be with her again. We just said, you, you know, temporarily you have to stay away from her for 24 months. So, but during those 24 months, you have to give her a get. It's not pshat stam, you know, they should, you know, live in separate quarters. He has to give her a get and divorce her. And then after 24 months, remarry her. Remarry her was saying he gives her a get and he's never allowed to remarry her. The Rabbanon didn't say just separate. The Rabbanon were saying you should divorce her and then, but he could take her back after the 24 months. I remember the, the, the reading of that is, is mash, by the way. The Tani Yoti says he should get rid of her. But look, Tani Yavish, he doesn't say he should separate from her. Shmamina. So in fact, what do we see? What do we see from there? We see from there that the language, is, language proves that he should give her a cat. Okay, we'll stop over here for today.